Thank you that we can praise you along, that we can praise you when we're in the valley, we can praise you when we're in the mountaintop, we can praise you with loud voices as a collective here this morning. And Lord, help us to be praising you all the louder as we leave here today. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Amen. Let me grab a seat. Morning all, my name's Dan. I, I get the honour of speaking to you from the Lord's Word today and I hope you're having a fantastic weekend and enjoyed that whole weather experience that we sort of had yesterday. Gary won't agree with me, but isn't it good to kind of have that warmth back? Not warmth where we're in lockdown, not warmth when we've got smoke hazes everywhere, not flooding, but actually a proper summer's day yesterday. One of the things that my family like to do on nice sunny days and and the coast is amazing for it is just go for a walk along the coast and inevitably what happens is Jess looks out and sees just a spectacular part of the ocean that's just a beautiful colour and and shining and gleaming she said Dan look at this doesn't look incredible and I have a look and I have my glasses on obviously and I kind of go oh yeah Jess that looks amazing and she just stops and looks at me for a second. She says, hold on. She puts on my glasses and says, how can you see anything out of those? They've got scratches, they've got smudges. You can't see that beautiful clear ocean at all. All you can see is the scratches and smudges. And then there's the second a lot that you try. You try the kids' glasses on. Have you ever tried these parents? You cannot see a thing out of these. All you can see out of these is neon pink love hearts. What a weird lens to view the world through. I'm loving that we have this opportunity to spend some serious time in the beautiful words of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we started looking at Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. A key that came to me in thinking about last week was the posture of humility that we have before the Lord. And this week, we're we're continuing that, we're pushing further into that and particularly thinking about what lens are you viewing the world through? Are you viewing the world with pink neon distractions? Are you viewing the world with nothing but smudges and scratches? Or are you looking at the world through a clear lens, seeing it for what it really is? Today we're looking at Matthew 5, 4, and you can see it on your screen there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed or happy are those who mourn the unhappy. Happy are the unhappy, for they will be comforted. It's already sounding heavy and challenging. Just through a few words, you start to have all these sort of ideas. Happy are the unhappy, how can that possibly work? What are we mourning? What is comfort and what does it look like? And how can those two things, mourning and comfort, happy, unhappy, how can these things possibly fit together I think what's important as we're going into this is to think about the context think about where Jesus is going here in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount he's speaking to the believers here he's speaking to his disciples and last week 
we were looking at blessed are the poor in spirit. We're looking at a spiritual condition. Jesus is shaping things here about how we are viewing the world through a spiritual lens. And it's no different here as we go into verse 4. And I think the Amplified Version helps us unpack this and give us some perspective immediately. And I should turn this clicker on. Paul, if you can just go to the next song for me, mate. Blessed or forgiven, refreshed by God's grace, are those who mourn over their sins and repent. When the burden of sin is lifted. Just have a look at that for a moment, because I think when you first read these verses, you get a perspective which has a truth. In terms of mourning, we think about grief, we think about death, we think about things like that. But Jesus is going deeper here again in, in tackling a spiritual condition in how we view the world. Those who mourn over sin, it's a perspective on life. It's mourning over sin and its consequences for the world. Remember, sin is a, simply a rebellion against God. There are various words through the Bible that expresses this notion, but they unpack things like missing the mark, breaching your relationship with God, straying from the path that was set before you. They're acts and thoughts that can be a deliberate perversion of God's law, or they can be ignorance or a failure of action but they are simply a rebellion against God and His plans for your life. It's a rebellion against the way God created the world. When we look back at Genesis, we see that God created spectacular beauty, and you can see it here on the coast, can't you? He, he made the earth and it was good. He made humanity and it was very good. But then humanity has a problem. We have our own God complex. We want to do it ourselves. We don't want to follow God's way. We want to do it our own way. We want to create our own rules. We want to forge our own path and we continue to rebel against God. And you can see it right back from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 3 that there are consequences of our sin. There's a separation from God. There is suffering. And ultimately there is death. Now, I think if you truly take stock of your week, I'm sure you can pull up a myriad of areas where you didn't quite do what you were hoping, where you fell short, where God wasn't at the centre. You didn't live according to how God established the world. You may have spoken out of line, you may have had jealousy, greed, gluttony, lying, not focusing on Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, I'm sure if you reflect on your week, you can see it there. But there are ways that you can further align yourself with God. And more than that, I'm sure if you've gone into this week and just looked anywhere around you among society, you can see the consequences of sin. You can see the fighting, the immorality, even just the emergency services kind of coming past you with their siren on loud, needing to get to something where there has been some brokenness. The consequences of sin are all around us. And God grieves it. We're going kind of right through Scripture here. We talked about Genesis, but then if you look all the way through the Old Testament, you can see this rhythm of God establishing good, His nation how to live. 
and the nation of Israel, the people of God, consistently failing, rebelling against God and needing to experience the consequences of their sinfulness. And God rises up people among them who are godly people again. He re-establishes the law, gives them another chance and they fail and fail again. And this heart that God has comes into the followers of Yahweh too. King David is a great example and I want to bring up Psalm 51 for you. Where David has just had his adultery with Bathsheba exposed and he pours his heart out to God here. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin, wash me from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognise my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Just think about that attitude he has there. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. You see the grief that both God the Father and David had for the sin there. But equally, and underlying that, you can also see David's recognition of God's unfailing love and his compassion. This continues to roll through Scripture, and you see it in the heart of Jesus. Jesus had a heart for the lost, didn't he? He had compassion for those who were in need. He had compassion for those who were suffering and in need of a saviour, Pharisees. In learning of Lazarus's death, Jesus wept. He wept for those he loved and he wept for death, the consequence of sin. And Jesus himself, we know that he died because of our sin and to set us free from our sin. His life, his death, his resurrection are shaped from the mourning of sin and its consequences. And to bring this comfort that we see in Matthew 5. One more example before we keep moving on, but I think this is important to understand the grief coming through Scripture. Think about Paul. Paul, the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles, who God used to take the gospel to the nations, who wrote half the New Testament. His attitude to sin comes in in Romans 7. Not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human, a slave to sin. You can see his perspective coming out here already, can't you? The goodness of God, but the fallenness and the mourning that Paul has for his own sin. Then in verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that I, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin and is still within me. And then here's the kicker. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I don't think until this week I really understood the depths of the misery and the mourning that Paul has for his sinfulness, for his slavery to sin. This man who writes such glorious things about the power of God 
has the on his own heart and what he does. It's heavy and it's sort of hard to take in and I think when we go here, I, I really believe that this is the attitude being spoken about in Matthew 5, 4. Those who mourn over sin, this is the heart that we see in God the Father, in Jesus Christ, in David and in Paul. But when we get to this position, it's heavy, right? And you think here and go, this is dark. How do you have this positioning and not just be kind of desperately depressed? Let's just tag on to the next bit in Romans 7. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Paul goes on, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Christ our Lord. This is what it does. It points us to Jesus Christ. It points us back to the love of God, who we are and our sinfulness. When we know Jesus, it points us back to something great. Sin is only half the story. Mourning sin helps us recognise that we are not God. Thank goodness, because we'll be terrible at it, wouldn't we? We have a loving God and a beautiful Saviour in Jesus Christ. Mourning sin, I believe, helps us to bring back God's lens on the world. We're called to be in the world, not of the world. If we are of the world, that lens can see many aspects of sin as actually something to celebrate. But we, when we are in the world, not of it, we see the world for what it truly is. God's beautiful creation, but a plague of sin on it. And we can plead for God's kingdom. So, where does the comfort come into this? I believe, or I can think of three ways in which God brings comfort. Firstly, when we mourn sin, we see our need for Jesus. Secondly, when we mourn sin, the Holy Spirit is in us and moving in us. And thirdly, when we mourn sin, we long for, we pray for and we participate in God, your kingdom come. So, let's just unpack a few of those together for a minute. Firstly, our need for Jesus. Romans 6 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that is, His remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When sin is our pleasure, death is the outcome. When Jesus is our pleasure, we take hold of grace and eternal life is our outcome. Revelation 7 is in this comfort. For the Lamb on the throne, Jesus, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Those of us who mourn sin now understand that holy perspective and see an eternity where there is no more mourning. We can take hold of the beauty of what God has in store. Secondly, when we have, we have God with us when we mourn through the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7. 
But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. Hope you're remembering our series of John and exactly where this sits in in Jesus' life. For if I go, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counsellor, strengthener, stand by, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to use fellowship with you. We have God with us in the Holy Spirit. He is, look at those kind of list of things, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counsellor. The Holy Spirit is with us, comforting us with that eternal perspective, reminding us of what Jesus has done for us, working in us to free ourselves from those sins that are binding us and point back to God. And thirdly, our comfort is in participation in God's kingdom. I love how this Sermon on the Mount is building and I just want to give you a quick reminder of what's coming up. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about how to pray. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. on your sin. If you're not recognising that it's there and it's problems, how are you praying this? But if you understand that God is building for something, if you understand that there is a problem with sin, then you're getting right on board with, God, I know you've got more. God, I know your kingdom is coming and I want to be a part of it. I want to pray your kingdom come. I want to participate in your kingdom come. I want to see sin abolished. I want to see the consequences of sin gone. I want to love you. I want to love others. I want to see those who are hurting and in need because of the consequences of their sin. I want to love them. Wanting sin helps us to take that lens and perspective of your kingdom come, Lord. See, morning sin, on first glance, it seems like a depressing outlook, but it's actually far deeper. The glory of what God intends for all of creation and aligns you back with God's view of everything. What a transformative thought that would be if we're coming into every moment of life with God's lens on. Not with our own because for some crazy reason we can't look past the thing that's right in front of us, the shiny new object. But when we have God's lens, we're seeing the grand picture of what He's done and doing through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? There are a couple of thoughts that I had, and there's probably more that many of you would have, but wanted to think about how are a couple of things that can help us have this lens of life. The first is confession. And the second, and, and I'll explain this, is what I'm going to call a pradar. So let's talk about them in turn. First, confession. When you think about your prayer life, how much is confession a part of it? How much are you coming before God, thinking about your life and, and confessing your sins to Him? It's an act of thinking about where you can improve, what you can hand over to God, where you need the Holy Spirit working in with you to draw you closer to God. 
1 John 1, 8 to 9 says this, If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. You see how important a step this is here? If we can be in a regular rhythm of confession, then it is something that God grabs hold of and uses to build you and grow you closer to Him. It's not saying that I want your whole prayer life to be beating yourself up, but to know where you stand, what you want to improve on, how you need to draw near to God and putting it at God's feet. He will cleanse you of all wickedness. What a beautiful picture that is. I believe this helps us to just understand our personal positioning of our sin and our life for Jesus. The second thing I want to talk to you about is what I'm calling a praetor. And this is about thinking about the consequences of sin around you. And only this week I was thinking about something that, that happens in my family. So my oldest, Erin, is seven. And she has a thing, and I think it's come from something that Jess spoke to her about, but it's just inherent in her now that wherever we're going, if there's an ambulance siren coming, Erin kind of has this moment. She stops, she looks concerned and she pleads out for, for Jess and I. She said, Mom, Dad, pray now. She just has this inherent concern for where that ambulance is going, who it's going to, if that person that it's going to is going to be okay. And I think it's a beautiful thing. What if we had a trigger like that in our lives? A trigger to pray, a prayer that helps us to, to be reminded oh, that's right, where we're living in a world that has sin and its consequences and prompts you immediately to pray. Wouldn't that be incredible in terms of what we're laying at God's feet daily and how that helps our perspective on life as well? It doesn't matter what it is, it might be every time you see a cop car because you know what they need to deal with on a daily basis. It might be if you see a sign that, that points to a service that is needed only because of sin for dealing with abuse or, or helping depression or whatever it is. Or it could be every time you see a really sexualized advert. Wh whatever it is that is on your heart, could you find a trigger that prompts you to pray? There's a lot to take in today, guys. But I believe that this is a transfer to the world. And won't we praise God more through it when we're seeing the world through His lens? So I want to just take a moment as we're finishing up this morning to practice this heart. I'll give you a moment just to think in your own time of, is there something sinful in my life that I want to bring before God? Or is there a consequence of sin that I've seen around me that I want to bring before Him? I'll give you a moment... And then I want to pray over us, that pray, prayer from Psalm 51. But with all of this, I want to take on the lens of knowing the comfort of Jesus Christ too. So hand these over, knowing that God has it, that He is listening to your prayers, and we can praise Him in it too. So as I finish the prayer today, I'd like to invite the band up, and we just worship God for a moment at the end of it. To hold that full perspective of there is sin to mourn, but there is comfort in Jesus Christ.
Why don't you take a moment to lay some things mercy on us, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of our sins. Wash us clean from our guilt, from our sin. For we recognize our rebellion. It haunts us day and night. Against you and only you have we sinned. We have done what is evil in your sight, You'll prove to be right in what you say, and your judgment is just. For we were born sinners, yes, from the moment we were conceived, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching us wisdom even there. And praise be to God that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise you, Lord, that through Jesus we can be called children of God, that while mourning our sinfulness, we can also see your greater plan and we can pray your will be done on earth as in heaven. Comfort us, Lord, through your great purpose on our life and the call to praise Jesus as Lord and praise you that at the same time that we can mourn the consequences of our sin, we can also wholeheartedly And with joy, Lord, knowing that we are blessed. Amen. Thanks, Dan.